This is one of my favorite animals at the zoo. Uh, not this exact elephant, but elephants blow my mind. Like when you see one in person, like as a kid, I saw them, you know, in picture books. And then you finally go see one. They're enormous. If you've ever seen an elephant or if you just guessed, they're huge. They smell like most animals do. Uh, they're like so strong. I, I can never get over just how enormous and strong. I can't, it's hard to even get over like how their bodies even work. That much weight, the amount of muscle that would take, how cool it is that their trunk can like do, make shapes. Everything about them I think is really, really cool. And recently I was listening to a podcast that was sharing uh, uh, just different interesting stories. And one of them was sharing about uh, uh, Asian elephants. This is an Asian elephant. And they were sharing about this issue that they're having right now and have been having uh, in India and with Asian elephants. And the issue is that the Asian elephants have been leaving the forests and the places they live, some because the space has been shrinking, some because they've been really tempted to come out and see what else is going on. And they're literally walking through towns. I mean, it, like we have an issue with turkeys in our neighborhood. They wander in our yard and we have to like shoot Nerf guns at them to get them to, <laughs> to get out. And, uh, I don't know what you'd do with this. Like if I woke up and there's 15 turkeys on my lawn, I can just yell, you know, like, yeah, my lawn. Uh, that probably doesn't work with elephants. Um, it's pretty wild. And this is a common occurrence. People are seeing elephants um, come into cities and towns. They're eating their crops, destroying land. Um, and even tragically, people are seeing people killed by elephants as they run through. They don't necessarily think it's like uh, as real intentional, but as an elephant runs through or stampedes through a street or a busy street, people have been trampled. It's, it's wild. It's like, it feels like two things are meeting that weren't meant to meet. And because of this, people are taking revenge or at least trying to, in some cases, just defend themselves. They don't know what to do. And so elephants are seen uh, as scary, these enemies. And so people are killing the elephants. And so populations of elephants are going down as whole like mobs kill elephants. And people are unaware of even what to do. There's people creating systems now to warn people. There's an elephant warning system that goes out. You can like get a text that says an elephant's been spotted in your area so that you can like at least be aware of an elephant. Could you imagine getting that? There's no way I'm leaving my house if I get the text that says elephant in your area. I don't, I don't know what I would do. Um, they're trying to help people know there's an elephant. They find out a lot of people who have been killed were unaware there's an elephant close by. I'm not, I'm not sure how you are unaware of it, but I'm sure... You didn't see it coming. And so because of this, what do we do with this? Why are elephants running into cities? It doesn't seem like it's a place they want to hang out. It seems like the forest where there's food and their home, it's really made for them. And for many, many years, that's been their home. Uh, why, why would they want to leave those places? Well, through research, they have found that a lot of times the forest that elephants live in, whether it's cleared around them or just is open area around them, has turned into farms, like even like pineapple farms, for instance. And so these delicious pineapple are growing just outside of their homes, their, their neighborhood. And so they, they smell that, they see that. And so they leave their forest, their home that's safe for them, that's made for them. And they, they leave to go eat pineapple, which uh, it's understandable. If I had, had pineapple growing next to me, uh, I might want to leave. And so they, they wander out and sometimes even they get lost or confused or just elephants end up following the elephant who's like the, the coolest elephant, the most popular one, they all follow. They wander into a city, maybe looking for food, 
maybe just lost and aren't sure where to go. And so they find themselves away from home, uh, really unsure what to do in a lot of danger and find themselves, some of them being killed. And so what they've done is they've actually put elephants in, back into forest. They tried to kind of herd them, move them back in. They found elephants that are like uh, helping, that are like um, connect to humans, that will work with humans, and like peacekeeper elephants. And those elephants, they train them to lead the other elephants back in the woods. And, and here's what's incredible. Elephants are really smart, if, if uh, you didn't know that. And elephants will go into the forest and then they dig these huge trenches to keep elephants from wandering out. So there's these huge trenches that they will dig and so that elephants are kind of like penned in, but there's not a fence, it's just a trench, so elephants can't, the elephants don't really like jump. I assume they don't jump very far. Uh, and here's what's incredible, right? There's, they're, they're very smart. Elephants have found ways to still get back to their pineapple patches. I don't know if that's what they're called, but that's what I call it, pineapple patches. This is one of the most incredible ways. Elephants will line up on the trench and they'll turn around and they'll kick dirt and mud into the trench, making a land bridge, and they will cross over that land bridge. Is that incredible? They like go to the extent of like engineering a bridge to get out of their home to go look for these things that actually ends up, for many of them, bringing death and destruction to their lives. It's, it's wild. They're using even their intelligence to find a way back out there, even though where, they at, where they're at is, is safe. Um, Maybe you didn't know you're going to come get a little lesson on elephants today. Uh, I was listening to this and I thought, wow, how silly these elephants. I am so glad I'm not silly like an elephant. I'm so glad I don't leave the, the home and the place that I was made to be in for other things that like entice me and tempt me. I'm glad I don't find a way to engineer even a way out, spend a lot of time to work to get out of something into a place that eventually does not bring life, eventually brings like, uh, conflict and, and hurt and harm to me and, and those around me. And then I got to read Hosea this week. I'm reading Hosea the same time I'm listening to this. And today's in Hosea that we've been studying. We're in chapter four and five. We're going to listen to just a list of the way God's people turned from him, walked away from him, and really the consequence of what it looks like to be uh, tempted and drawn out of the place God created for, for them, which is with him, and what that looks like. And I thought, oh, we're, we're just elephants building mud bridges as fast as we can to get away from the place that we were created to be in. And so today we're going to look at what sin looks like and how, how we really are doing the same thing. And um, Hosea is an interesting book. So far we've been uh, in Hosea for about six weeks. And we've learned that Hosea is a story of a of a man who is a prophet, God uses to speak. And he says, Hosea, I want you to marry a woman who's had many other lovers, who's an adulteress. I want you to marry this unfaithful woman because I want your marriage and your life to, to illustrate, to show off my faithfulness to you even when you've been unfaithful. Israel, he looks at God's people, you've been unfaithful, but, but I haven't been. And I'm gonna continue to pursue you and draw you back in. I'm not gonna leave you. And so this picture, this Hosea, really, the book of Hosea is just this great picture of our God and, and who he is and how he feels about us, how he continues to pursue us as we run off, as we make mud bridges and run to other things. And he pulls us back home over and over again, bringing us back into life and saving us from death. Um, and, and so the book, really the story, the narrative, like the actual story ended it in, in chapter three. The story really is just a few verses. 
And the rest now, there's 11 more chapters. What else do you have to say? Well, God is gonna use Hosea to remind the people really how big a deal this is. Really how far they ran away. Really like how much pineapple is tempting, but it, it isn't gonna bring life like you think. And, and the consequence for that sin. And so today we're gonna look just and sit in that. What is this issue that, that seems to be such a big deal? What's this unfaithfulness look like um, in chapter just four and five? There's a lot of chapters that are kind of the same. And so this is one of those places in scripture where I think uh, not only is the actual uh, matter, like the actual content, the actual thing that we're looking at is important, like each word, but even the experience, like the manner of it, kind of the experience of just reading a lot of verses in a row of how unfaithful God's people is important because you get a sense, you're like, okay, I get it. I get it. We keep walking away. We keep walking away in every way we walk away. And so we're going we're gonna to try to feel that a little bit today as we look through part of chapter four and five. So we're going to start here. Chapter four, if you have a Bible, you want to open it up. Otherwise, uh, most of the passages will be on the screen here as we go through. This is Hosea four, right after we just heard about God's unrelenting love, his pursuit of his people, even when they're unfaithful, he, he rescues them, he runs to them. And now he's going to say, I just want to remind you of really the place you're in, of how dire this really is. And so here we go. Hosea four, we'll start here in verse one. Hear the word of the Lord, you Israelites, it's God's people, because the Lord has a charge to bring against you who live in the land. There is no faithfulness, no love, no acknowledgement of God in the land. God wants to say something to them and he says, hey, you're unfaithful. There's none. There's no love. There's no knowledge of God. There's no connection or intimacy in this land. Those would be like the three things, faithfulness, love, knowledge, or, or closest knowing a person would be three things you'd encourage, right? If you read a book about marriage, you'd hear, hey, it's really important that you're faithful to one another. And there's a chapter like, how do you love each other well? And do you love each other? And how do you know each other? Like really know each other. It's these, it's these three important things to a marriage and to a relationship. And God says, those things are not there. There is some things there though. There's cursing, lying and murder, stealing and adultery. They break all bounds. And bloodshed follows bloodshed. What a phrase, bloodshed, just, just murder, death. Just keeps coming. There's just this cycle of death and bloodshed, not life. Because of this, the land dries up and all who live in it waste away. The beasts of the field and the birds in the sky and the fish in the sea are swept away. So this is actually even sounds like um, language from Genesis 1 and 2. If, you, if you've read Genesis 1 and 2, it talks about how God creates the world and it says he creates the birds in the sky and the fish in the sea and the beasts of the field. And in that one, he creates all these things and he says, it is good. And now Hosea, we're hearing, the land dries up, it wastes away, the birds and the beasts and the fish are swept away. Instead of creating them, it's, the sin has actually caused these things to like be uncreated. And it's not good. And Hosea goes on, but let no one bring a charge. Let no one accuse another. For your people are like those 
who bring charges against the priest. You stumble day and night and the prophets stumble with you. He's saying even the priests, the prophets, all of you, the people who should be leading you back saying, hey, come back, come back. That's not gonna bring life. They're saying, let's go, let's go worship these things. Let's go give our lives these things. So I will destroy your mother. My people are destroyed from lack of knowledge because you have rejected knowledge. I also reject you as my priests because you've ignored the law of your God. I also will ignore your children. The more priests there were, the more they sinned against me. I should be giving you priests, people who lead you to the Lord, the people who bring you back. And the more, the more of those that come should just, just increase the people who worship the Lord. And instead they have decreased. In fact, the sin has become greater. They've exchanged their glorious God for something disgraceful. This reminds me, this pushes us forward, zooms us to the beginning of Romans 1. Romans is a book in the New Testament that's written uh, to people explaining really how this works, how sin works, how Jesus restores us. But in the beginning of it, it defines really sin. This is for me a really helpful definition of what sin looks like. It says, for although they knew God, this is using that knowledge word again, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him, but their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. So they knew God, right? It should have drawn them close to him, but instead they became darkened. Futile, they became foolish actually. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like mortal human being and birds and animals and reptiles. It's interesting, really similar language, right? It's this idea of these, they're gonna be worshiping these birds and animals and reptiles. Maybe not actually an animal, but, but for sure images of animals, which we see all the way back in Hosea. Actual images, statues of reptiles, of birds, of, of bulls, and they go before them and worship them, thinking that will bring them life and joy. And saying, hey, this is, a lot, this is way after that. You're st we're still doing this. We're still exchanging what should be glory for God for these other things. And so in 24, what happens then? Well, therefore God gave them over in their sinful desires of their hearts to sexual impurity, to the degrading of their bodies with one another. They exchanged the truth about God for a lie. So they took what was true. This God is faithful and he's good and life comes from him. And they said, no, I don't think that's true. It must come from these other things. Or, or maybe me, I'm the one who brings that. And so they worshiped and served created things rather than the creator. All of this, all, everything in the category of created, which is all things except for God, anything in there, I'll pick one of those things and I'll, I'll turn my worship to that. I'll turn my hope to that. I'll turn the reason I get up, what I give my money to, what I give my time to and my heart to, to those things instead of the creator who actually created all of us. We're made to, to turn our worship to him. This is home and we've, all, we've turned, right? We've made a land bridge. We pushed some mud into the trench. We found a way over here thinking this would bring us life. This is very similar language we just saw, right? They exchanged the glorious God for something disgraceful. And in Romans, they just reiterated, this is what sin looks like. Looks like us exchanging our hope for something that will not actually bring us fulfillment or satisfaction like we think. Hosea goes on, they feed on the sins of my people and relish their wickedness. And it will be like, and it will be like people, like priests. They will punish both, I will punish both of them for their ways and repay them for their deeds. 
So in Romans, we hear he repays us. He lets us off the leash. It's like we're running after these things and he goes, I guess go for them then. It's not even as much God's wrath coming down, his, his punishment, but also the addition to that, like you're just gonna run after things that will bring death. You're bringing it upon yourself. And so we get into verse chapter five and verse four, their deeds do not permit them to return to their God. This is getting dire. A spirit of prostitution is in their heart. They do not acknowledge the Lord. Israel's arrogance testifies against them. The Israelites, even Ephraim, stumble in their sin. Judah also stumbles with them. There's stumbling. There's arrogance. There's prostitution. They're not returning to their God. And they go with their flocks and herds to seek the Lord. They don't find him. That's a scary thought. They They don't find him. He has withdrawn himself from them. They're unfaithful to the Lord. They give birth to illegitimate children. When they celebrate their new moon feast, he will devour their fields. New new moon feast would be these festivals where they bring in the harvest and they feast. It says that as you you run after these other gods, God will devour their fields. There's not going to be a harvest like you think. And it just keeps going. Judah's leaders are like those who move boundary stones. I'll pour out my wrath on them like a flood of water. This seems serious. Ephraim is oppressed, trampled in judgment, intent on pursuing idols. It's just any of those created things that aren't God. I am like a moth to Ephraim, like rot to the people of Judah. A moth that comes and slowly eats away at the cloth, at the cloth or rot that slowly eats away and dissolves the wood. For I will be like a lion to Ephraim, like a great lion to Judah. I will tear them to pieces and go away. I'll carry them off like no one to rescue and no one to rescue them. Then I'll return to my lair until they have borne their guilt and seek my face. In their misery, they'll earnestly seek me. It's a wild image. God, like this lion who will tear them apart and then go away, returning to their, to their lair, to his lair, until, the, until they borne their guilt in their misery, they'll earnestly seek me. This is the reality of what sin looks like. So we turn to created things rather than our creator God. Like, like rot. I mean, I, I feel that in my life, the amount of things that were slow, slowly dissolving, disintegrating the structures around me as it was slowly falling apart. I almost didn't notice it at first, like rot in a house for sometimes you pull, they pull a, a wall out, you know, because you're going to put a new outlet in and then you realize, oh no, all the wooden studs are rotted out. The structure of this house is barely there. It's barely held together. What are we going to do? Before we see what we're going to do, before what we see what God does, I just want to stop because this really this week, as I meditated on this, as I really was thinking about this, it, it brought up a lot of myths that I have about sin in my own life. So these are my list of some of the myths I believe about sin. I, maybe, you might not have felt these, but I have fe- felt these often in my list. Or maybe you just want to call them alternative facts if that makes you feel better. <laughs> I love this bit much. 
Here we go. Number one, sin can just be bad behavior. It's, I'm just making the wrong choices. If I just did better, if I just stopped doing it, if, if we just do better, then, then this rot won't happen and this wrath doesn't have to come. If that's true, then just doing better is the solution. If that's true, then doing better, we just create new law, new religion, and then we somehow can like achieve not being sinners. It's not true. We see throughout scripture, sin is not just a choice that we're making. It's really a state that we're in. It's really like a position that we stand in. It's really the makeup of who we are. We're like sinners, not just from the moral choice we're making, but we just like define who I am as like, I am a human, I am a sinner. Because sin also isn't just acting my actions towards, but sin is also acted upon you. It's something that you feel because of other people around you or just brokenness in the world around you. The brokenness of the world, like going to the doctor and finding out terrible news isn't necessarily just because you made a bad choice. It's just because our bodies aren't working because they've been cursed because of sin. Sin has broken the things around us and the people around us. And not only individually our behavior, but even as groups, we decide sin gets in there and just controls and takes over us. So if it's just bad behavior, I think we could fix it, but it seems to be a lot bigger than that. The second myth I often believe is it's not really that big a deal. This is the one I like have to believe. I almost have to convince myself so I don't really feel the weight of something that I'm doing or the weight of uh, something I'm thinking about doing or, or something in my life, right? To think, this isn't that big a deal. Like God can't really care that much that I'm putting my hope in this thing or that I'm making this choice that he has called me not to. I can't, this pineapple is so good. There's no way he really cares that much that I leave my home to eat some tasty pineapple. I think this makes us often just think, well, what, did, what would be the consequence to this? It makes you think of like a kid when you say, hey, could you please stop doing that? And they look and they say, uh, what's going to happen if I keep doing it? And you're like, oh, that's, I don't want that. No, just say, yeah, I'll stop doing it. <laughs> like, I'm willing to weigh the consequence. Is it just like one day in my room? Because this is pretty awesome. I might be willing to do you understand? We don't understand like the full weight. I don't believe like the actual weight of sin, the actual wage that I get, we hear in Romans, the payment I get for my sin is death. Like I, that's what I get paid. I get paid, I open my, my check up and I open it up, death, it says on it. That's what you get paid for the work you've been doing in your sin. But I often think it just says like, God thinks it's not so cool. I don't know if I think of it as a big deal. It seems to be a very big deal in Hosea. I also sometimes just think God's a huge buzzkill. Come on, God, these things seem great. They seem to feel good. They seem to, I don't, everyone, a lot of people seem to be doing it. You just, it just seems like God is like a parent who's like, I just don't want you to have fun. I know you like those things. I just want to watch you suffer and not have fun. And so then I think, all oh, these things he's calling me to aren't life-giving. They're just him not wanting me to enjoy those things around me. This is the same lie that we see in the garden in, in Genesis the serpent comes, Satan comes, and he says to Eve, do you really think God doesn't want you to eat that fruit? Do you really think God, like, come on. 
he's just holding back. He's got, this fruit must be so tasty. He wants all of it to himself. So we start believing that God's just an angry dad. He's an angry parent. He doesn't want us to enjoy the things. Or I might start believing that it doesn't affect other people. This is my choice. This is my thing. It doesn't affect other people. I think you just have to live for a little while and you, uh, this is a hard one to believe. You might even say, Drew, that's silly. Uh, How could sin not affect other people? It's not many years that you have to be around any other person to know that this is not true. We've all been on on the receiving end of plenty of sin and brokenness. And how many times people have no idea even that there's sin, that they're turning from God's way, his right way causes hurt and brokenness. Or just ourselves, or how often do we find ourselves hurting those around us? We're called as, they asked Jesus what the most important laws, what the most important commands are in scripture. He says, well, first is to love the Lord your God with everything, to give yourself to him. It's almost marriage language, to give yourself fully to the Lord and to love your neighbor. It's like loving one another and loving God is what we're called to do. And so it makes sense that we're not loving God but the other part also falls away and we are not loving each other. And lastly, that one that I often, um, sometimes just makes me, causes me to just give up is it just feels too powerful. See, the temptation is too strong. It's all the time. And as soon as I figure out one thing, it's the next thing. It just seems way too powerful and way too big. I don't think I can do it. This one actually might be true. It is too big. It's too big because what if it isn't just bad behavior? And what if sin is a big deal? And what if God is trying to save us and not ruin us? What if it does affect our relationships? And what if it's just too powerful for us? Then we're in a lot of trouble, right? Uh Uh-oh. And if that was the end of Hosea, if the end of Hosea is, hey, you're in a lot of trouble. The lion has went off to his lair to watch you rot. You should feel that. Wait, we're in a lot of trouble. We're not going to fix this thing. You're right. This is why we gather every Sunday to remind ourselves that it's too big. But it's not the end of the story. I've been really, really blessed by this book lately. Some of you I know have, uh, have uh, mentioned it to me too. This is a book called Gentle and Lowly uh, that came out this last year. Subtitle is The Heart of Christ for Sinners and Sufferers. It has been like um, a balm. I don't use that word often. It feels like too cool for use, but it feels like I have like a giant wound and there's just something that is like helping heal me. Uh, It's a book that just reminds us of God's heart towards us and Christ's love for us. Um, And it gets right to to the heart of of how I feel. And this is how I feel when I read Hosea, Hosea 4 and 5. Fallen, anxious sinners are limitless in their capacity to perceive reasons for Jesus to cast them out. Yeah, he has got a lot of reasons to cast me out. We are factories of fresh resistances to Christ's love. 
It's not, it's, I mean, it's terrible, but isn't that a great way to think of it? It's like we're producing new ways. Every day we get to work and the supervisor's like, we got a new product on the line, a new way we can sin. Let's pump that thing out. Let's get these people resisting Christ's love. Even when we run out of tangible reasons to be cast out, such as specific sins or failures, we tend to retain a vague sense that given enough time, Jesus will finally grow tired of us and hold us at arm's length. When I read a list of sin, when I read a list of how God's people turned away from God in Hosea, it doesn't take long and I go, I, I get it. God, how often do I turn from you? How often do I, I run away from you? And because of any other relationship in my life, I go, how long till you're tired of me? And you leave. How long do you, do you not stay in this marriage because it's really unhealthy? How long do you just hold me at arm's length? And I really start believing that. But it's not true. He does not get flustered or frustrated when we come to him for fresh forgiveness, for renewed pardon with distress and need and emptiness. That's the whole point. It's what he came to heal. He went down to the horror of death and plunged out through the other side in order to provide a limitless supply of mercy and grace to his people. Sin is too big for us, but not too big for Jesus. Jesus does not love like us. We love until we're betrayed. Jesus continued the cross despite betrayal. We love until we are forsaken. Jesus loved through forsakenness. We love up to a limit. Jesus loves to the end. I think it's so important that we understand, yes, we are sinners and we are more sinners than we even know. You just are a sinner. It's like, but then Jesus comes to rescue us. It is more powerful than us. Jesus comes and dies on a cross. He goes into the ground and is risen from the dead and defeats death. And now sin no longer gets to tell you what to do and no longer has the power over you. You no longer believe that God doesn't care about you because he just showed he died for you. I love this uh, diagram by Bob Thune. Uh, this isn't a Christ-centered life. It's this great study to understand the gospel in your life. But it, um, it reminds us as time moves on, as we understand, if you see the bottom here, as we have a growing awareness of my sin, as I understand more and more of that, I think if you've ever hung out with someone who's older, um, I remember meeting with a guy who was probably in his 70s, and, and uh, he was just, man, every day I realize I'm more of a sinner. And he was like the holiest person I knew, I thought, you're not, you know, I don't think you ever sin. He's like, oh, every day I just have new depths in my heart. I think, ugh, what am I doing? But, but as he understood that, it made him only appreciate the cross more and what Jesus has done more. It, made the, it makes the cross bigger. Because you go, wow, even in that depth of sin, even as I continue over and over to turn from you, you continue over and over with your limitless love to pursue me. Your cross is so good. And so day after day, as time goes on, the cross gets even better and better and better because you understand how deep your sin is and you understand how deep the love of God is. And all because these things didn't happen to us. Look at this language that we just read. 
Because of this land, the land dries up and all who live in it wastes away. We didn't waste away. Jesus wasted away so that we could have life. I reject you as my priest. Jesus has rejected and ignored so that we could have life in him. Listen to 5, 6. They will not find him. He has withdrawn himself from them. God withdraws himself from his son so that we sinful, unfaithful people could be near to him. I'll pour out my wrath on them like a flood of water. That was, that was our paycheck. A flood of wrath on us, of death. And Christ, I'll take that. I'll take that payment so that you could still be in relationship with God. I will tear them to pieces and go away. I'll carry them off and no one will rescue them. I'll return to my lair until they have borne their guilt. Christ takes our guilt and is torn apart so that we could be with our God. So as we think about our sin, as you process it, instead of being people who say, hey, let's just do better. This is, this is too powerful. I can't do it. We look to the gospel. We look to Jesus. And he reminds us that he has taken this and we're reminded who is who's doing the work. And we continue to repent and, and turn to him. I'm gonna invite our worship team up because we have the opportunity now to worship him and remind ourselves of that good gospel as we sing together a few more songs. A couple of things I want you to think about as we sing and reflect here. Did you know Jesus didn't grow tired of us? But he took on the wrath of God for us. Just that. Wake up tomorrow and say, Jesus didn't grow tired of me. Should have. I would have. Didn't. What myths do you believe about sin and about who Jesus is? It's a great thing to process. Process with a friend. Who makes you aware of the goodness of God and the depth of your sin? Do you have a friend who reminds you? Do you have a small group? Do you have some people who say, hey, remember how good God is? But they also say, hey, that, that isn't helpful. Do you know that you're wandering off into pineapple fields? It's not helpful. Let's help, you, let's help you repent and come back to the Lord. And then this week, is there one thing that you could turn from and you could run to Jesus? There's a lot, right? Is there just one way I could turn and run to the one who brings life? Let me pray for us and then we'll worship this good Jesus together. Lord, thank you for your goodness and your kindness towards us that you do not grow tired of us. But instead, you're willing to come and be hung on a cross torn apart, the wrath of God poured out on you so that we could have life. That's really good news. I pray as we sing that good news would land in our hearts that would change us. We love you, Lord. You're really good. We pray this in your good name. Amen.